The Bible reading this morning is on page 312. Can you hear me now? Yes? Oops. Page 312 in your pew Bibles. And it's called The Dedication of the Temple. Um, 2 Chronicles 7 verses 1 to 10. The Dedication of the Temple. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, his love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep, sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated to the temple of God. The priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord, and which were used when he gave thanks, saying, His love endures forever. Opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpet and all the Israelites were standing. Solomon consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the fellowship offerings, because the bronze altar he had made could not hold the burnt offerings the grain offerings and the fat portions. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo, Hamath, to the Wadi of Egypt. On the eighth day they held an assembly for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the festival for seven days more. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mr. God. Thank you, Louise. What an amazing reading. What an event to be thinking about. The building of God's temple, which Solomon had finally finished the work. David, his father, had provided all of the materials that were necessary in an incredible abundance. And here was this beautiful, amazing temple. And then the Spirit of God fills this temple. Fire comes and consumes the sacrifice. Can you imagine? Our little brains, I don't think, can't cope with, with trying to understand what's going on there. And the feast that goes on afterwards. But can you imagine the smell of blood? All the sacrifices that happen there. What an event. Amazing. We've got no idea how to comprehend exactly what's going on there. 
But I'm going to pray and then I want to, want to speak from God's word and I pray that we'll find relevance in this passage for our living day to day. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. We ask that you'll soften our hearts, open our minds and our spirits to enable to us to understand what you are saying to us from this passage, to find the application, Lord, and to put it into practice for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was meditating on this passage and reading through Chronicles and the whole thing, there's just so much my little mind was just blowing apart as to what should I talk about this morning. But I can imagine that it would have been a beautiful autumn day, just like this one we have today where Solomon and the, and the people of Israel came together to dedicate the temple. They had worked long, they'd worked hard to, to build a permanent, magnificent structure for the house of the Ark of the Covenant. And finally the day arrives for the temple dedication. Can you imagine the build up, the excitement of what's going to happen? The people gather and Solomon prays. And when Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I don't know about Solomon, but if I was in his shoes, I think this would have been one of those unforgettable experiences. You know, you get there are moments in your life where just things happen. You go like, oh, that's awesome. That's a word we use way too often. But this was an awesome experience. It would have been a kind of a foxhole experience, I think, because I understand that I've never been in a war, but if you're, I've read various things where, where the, when the bullets are flying around, the bombs are exploding all around, and the soldier feels like this is his last breath, often they just stop and they get themselves right with God. It's a foxhole experience. You've got to get yourself right. And I think for Solomon, this would have been one of those kinds of experiences. If he wasn't right with God before, he'd certainly be right afterwards. Experiencing the glory of God filling the temple. This incredible manifestation of God. It boggles my mind to, to think of fire falling down and filling the place. In my wildest dreams, I can't imagine what it would be like for God to ignite a place with his presence. I do know I'd be shaking in my boots though. And doing everything in my power to make sure I was right with this God. And I think this, in, this encounter teaches us what happens when a person gets right with God. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. As we dedicate this building, we need to make sure we are right with God. Well, what happens when a person gets right with God? Well, the first thing I believe that happens is, is the purifying fire of God's presence makes them holy like God. God has always used fire to identify his presence and purify his people. To, to Moses, God spoke through a burning bush, saying that the place you are standing on is holy ground. This is holy ground. To Elijah, God's consu God, God consumed the altar with the fire from heaven, proclaiming, among other, other things, that Elijah was a holy man. We are holy people. To the first few believers in Jerusalem, God visited them in a violent blowing wind and tongues of fire, announcing that they were a holy people. To Solomon and the worshippers at the temple, God came as a fire from heaven, consuming the offering and the sacrifices, sta stating that this is a holy place. People who are right with God are separated from the world. They are holy people. 
Jesus prayed that all his followers would be separated from the world. Listen to how he prays. This is Jesus praying for us. He says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They, that's us, are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus used that word sanctify three times. It means to be set apart for sacred use or to make us holy. Remember what the Apostle Peter wrote? He said, but as the one who has called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be a holy people. A person who's right with God is, in fact, a holy person. They've separated themselves from the world. They've distanced themselves from sin. They've detached themselves from evil. And it shows up. It shows up in how they live, how they talk, and how they think. The law of physics states that two objects can't occupy the same place. The same is true for our hearts. God and sin cannot be in the same place. A person who's right with God has confessed their sin so that God resides in their heart. So let's have some application right now. Let's stop for a moment and ask a question. Are you holy? Are you separated from the world? Have you distanced yourself from sin? God's purifying fire will make us that kind of people. Secondly, the consuming fire of God compels people to worship God. Notice what the people of Israel did. It says, All the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement. They worshipped and praised the Lord, for He is good, for His faithful love endures forever. Worship is our response to God's presence, to his all-consuming holiness, and to his glory. Worship is expressing our love to God for who he is, what he said, and what he's doing. In genuine worship, the warmth of God's presence is felt, the cleansing of God's pardon is offered, the burning of God's purposes are revealed, and the flame of God's power is displayed. Brothers and sisters, people who've fallen in love with God, the God of the universe, and met Him in His consuming glory, they long to meet God in worship. They know what wor that worship doesn't lead to an encounter with God. It is an encounter with God. The question is now, do you long to encounter God in worship? Does your heart seek to respond to God's glory, to his greatness, and to his goodness? Let's move on. The spreading fire of God leads people to witness for God as well. It's interesting. The nature of fire is to consume. Well, we've seen that, haven't we, lately? Fire just consumes everything in its path. And its nature is also to spread God not only wants his presence to consume us, resulting in our worshipping him, he also wants his fire to spread into the hearts of other people. There's an intimate connection between worship 
and witnessing. The goal of our witnessing produces worshippers of God. And at the same time, worship provides the motivation for witnessing because worship produces a desire in us to tell others about Jesus. You know you've worshipped effectively when you want to tell someone else about that. It'll drive you forward. It really will. God says to Solomon, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the evil ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Take hold of your Bibles, if you will. Open it to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Someone tell me what page number that is in the Pew Bible. 312. Page 312 in the Pew Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If, I-F, if is the biggest two-letter word in the English language. It really is. Because the destiny of persons, of families and nations hinges on that one little word. The statement was a word from God to Solomon following the temple dedication ceremony. The temple symbolizes commitment to worship and partnership with God. If, that word if, suggests responsibility on the hearer's part. God was saying to Solomon, you are the man to carry my flame into the world. He's saying to the nation of Israel, you are my people. The responsibility of proclaiming my forgiveness and healing is yours. So the responsibility for spreading the flame of God's forgiveness and healing rests squarely on the shoulders of the person who hears this statement from God. So just as God is saying to Solomon, you are my man, he's saying to you and me, you are the man, you are the woman. Just as God is saying to the people of Israel, you are the people, he's saying to every Christian church, you are the people. So when the fire falls on us, we are compelled to burn for others. If the fire would fall on others, first of all, our hearts have to be set alight for God. When someone is right with God, they can't help but tell others about the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God. Witnessing for God is a natural outgrowth of someone who's fallen in love with God and their hearts are on fire for him. Do you remember the old days you used to talk about someone being on fire for God? Do you remember that? Seems to have gone out of vogue, doesn't it? What's happened? We don't use that phrase so often anymore. Maybe because there are very few that are actually on fire. Are you on fire for God? You've got to answer that question. A person who's right with God has a passion for God and compassion for others. They tell others about him. So, let's have a little bit of an audit right now. Let's audit our lives. Are you separated from the world? Are you responding to God in worship? Are you a faithful witness for Christ? Well, that's up to you to answer and get right and sort it out with God. But what will it take... Brothers and sisters, what will it take for us to be set on fire 
for God. What will it take? Because fire cannot be ignited when the environment is hostile to combustion. We, to be on fire, we must be composed of combustible material. We must find a way to create a kind of spiritual reaction that creates both heat and light. The way to do this, by the way, is no secret. God actually gives us the formula. He tells us how to get on fire for him. How do we start a fire in our hearts? It's actually as simple as, as striking a match and throwing it at a bunch of gut dry gum leaves. It really is. The way for God to get a grip on us is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Have you got it in your Bible yet? If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. There are some words there. If, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their evil ways. Let's have a look at that because in that statement, in that verse, there's how we get on fire for God. Number one, if, if, that means take responsibility. If shows our responsibility. Right? It's up to you and it's up to me. If you want re revival, say, Father, set the revival here, now, right where I'm standing, right where I'm sitting. Because getting right with God is your responsibility. I can't make you right with God. I'm your pastor, but I cannot make you right with God. It's up to you to do that. The deacons can't do it for you. Your parents can't have done it for you. Your Sunday school teachers couldn't have done it for you. It's your responsibility if it's up to you to get right with God. The transaction takes a second, but it's up to you to make that transaction. If what? If we humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves before God. To humble yourself, that's a statement of position. When we humble ourselves, we bend low. Postrate on the floor. We fall on the ground. Remember the root word of the word of humiliation and humility is humus. Humus means dirt. Get on the dirt. Fall down before God. Get on your knees, on your face, whatever it is. Get down. Humble yourself. It's like two sides of the same coin. A humble person not only sees themselves or herself as they are, which is lowly and desperate, they see God as he really is, majestic and sovereign, omnipotent and gracious. We see a God who also humbled himself. God humbled himself on the cross so that he could have relationship with you and me. And he calls us to follow after him, doesn't he? Didn't Jesus say, take up your cross? When? Daily. Humble yourself daily. Take responsibility. Humble yourself. Then what do we do? Pray. This is about spending time with God. To pray indicates a relationship between the creator and us, the created. It's hard to get right with God if you're not spending time with God. It's fascinating. Statistics reveal that most evangelical Christians spend less than 10 minutes a day in Bible reading and prayer. Hmm, that's not a lot, is it? 
how can we be right with God if we aren't in conversation with God? We are called into relationship, aren't we? Isn't that the difference between Christianity and any other faith? We have a relationship with God through Christ our Savior. I've been restored into fellowship with Him. We just celebrated that in communion. So I can talk to Him. I come before my Father in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know He hears me. I'm invited to come before the throne of grace in time of need. I talk to my God and I know that He hears me. So we need to spend time with God. We also need to long for God's presence. It says, seek my face. Now this is interesting. It shows the intent of our desire to be with God. Notice it doesn't say, seek my hand. It says, seek my face. Too often we seek God's hand. What he can do for us. God do this. God do that. God fix this. God do something else. We come with our shopping list before God. Rather than seeking God's face, who he is. If you want to get right with God, you, just, you don't just seek God and what God can do for you. You seek after God himself. I want to know you, Lord. Father, I want to experience my Father in heaven. See, if we only seek God for what he can do for us, rather than seeking him for himself, we can easily become spiritual idolaters. We really can. We miss the heart of the matter. We miss the whole point of the exercise. We are to be seeking God. Seek his face. If you make that your heart's desire... God will grant you your heart's desire. I promise he will. Not only do we need to seek God's face, we also need to walk towards God. We need to turn from our evil ways. Now that shows the direction of our walk. We are walking now towards God. The theological word for turning away from wicked, sinful, unholy lifestyle and walking towards God is repentance. Great word. Repentance means to turn around. It's to say, I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to turn away from my old-fashioned ways, the old wicked ways. The practical word repent is very useful to describe a moral and spiritual act of getting right with God. Now, by the way, repentance does not mean, oh, I feel so sorry about what I've done. I'm going to cry about it. I'm going to blame someone else. My mum beat me too much and my dad was a whatever. No, 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 no. It's about you taking responsibility and turning back to God. Repentance is the act of changing the direction in which our heart is inclined. It's a spiritual about face. It's a change of mind that calls for a change of way. The Greek word for repentance, metanoio, means to change one's mind, to think differently, to turn one's heart away from sin and towards God. Repentance is an act of your will. You are volitional people. That means you make choices. You can make the choice to turn away from the old lifestyle and turn to the new lifestyle of following after your God. We can turn around. That's all contained in your Bible, by the way. 
Chronicles chapter 7 verse what? 14. You should underline it, get it tattooed on your forehead, do something. Stick it on the mirror whenever you wake up in the morning and look in there and say, oh, who's that good looking person? Read the scripture. And then put it into action. Because those are the steps that, 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 that we need to take to get right with God. But the question really is, now that you've heard this, this is all a whole bunch of hot air, until you are ready and willing to take those steps. I think one of the saddest things would be you know, the burning embers of a church that's been burnt to the ground. But what if we saw headlines, Doyleson Baptist Church on fire? Why? Because the members of Doyleson Baptist Church demonstrated a purity of holiness, an intensity in worship, a passion for witness. Wouldn't that be awe-inspiring if the fire of God's presence fell on the people in an extraordinary measure? Wouldn't it be attractive if the church caught on fire spreading God's message to the communities round about us and beyond? You know what would happen, wouldn't, don't you? Whenever there's a fire and a fire truck in the street or the ambulance comes, what happens? People come and have a look, don't they? They do. When the fire engine comes, they all come and have a geek. What's going on? Oh, look. Be playing with matches again. People would come and watch us burn. Brothers and sisters, we, we've, we've worked hard to fix up this building. But church buildings do not attract many people. However, fire in the hearts of holy people who worship and witness, that will attract other people. Christians who carry big Bibles around won't attract many people. But people who are right with God and live that way, that becomes attractive. Because people say, look at you and go, what have you got? Why do you have peace? Why are you aglow? And they'll see it. They'll look at you and go, what is it? There's something different about you. Your life is just like everyone else's life, but there's something different about you. What have you got? Is your heart aglow? Is it on fire? What steps do you need to take? Well, I've just told you all about them. Get a copy of the sermon. Listen again. Look at the notes. They're written for you there in your, in your bulletin. It's all outlined there. Find that scripture passage. Read it. Read it again. And then put it into practice. I'd like to be pastor of a church that's on fire. Wouldn't you like to be a church that's on fire? The glory of God made manifest amongst his people. The deacons have put the challenge, can we double this church? I believe we can. We just simply need to strike the match and get on fire for God and watch what God will do. Jesus says, I will build my church. I believe he will if we want him to. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the inspiration that it gives to us, the challenge it gives to us. It shows our shortcomings. It is the holy canon of Scripture which we measure ourselves against. But Father, may we not leave this place today without having done business with you and said, yes, Father, I do want to put this into practice. I do want to be responsible 
and humble myself before you and spend more time than ever before. I long for your presence, Father. I want to see your face. I want to walk towards you for you and for your glory and so that this wonderful land in which we, he- we live can receive its healing. We pray in Jesus' name.